Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I'm your host, Tim Keller, along with me is Mr. Matt Disher. Matt, I don't know about you and Cincinnati as a whole. It's kind of been an odd, an odd week for the past season, I'll say, for, for this season. It's you have a day where it feels like it's winter, hmm. but then the next day it's in the mid 50s and the sun's right. out and you're like, I could be in a T-shirt. But then the very next day, it's blowing 30 miles an hour and it's, you know, flurrying. It's been a very odd week leading up to Christmas. I know here in Pennsylvania, they're projecting uh, low 50s with rain on Christmas Day. Yeah, we're at uh, low 60s with rain on Christmas Day. Uh, This is not unusual because I think last year or the year before, I believe it was last year, I sat outside at my sister-in-law's house for Christmas on her patio and it felt like 70 degrees. We started off this month, I believe, December 1st or 2nd, we had snow on the Mm -hmm. ground here. So, you know, I look backwards in time. I was uh, I made the reference the other day that the day my son was born in February in 2011, uh, he, he it was 65, 70 degrees out. We had the hospital windows open, uh, oh, wow. and and then in very yeah in February, and it was a nice warm day, and the birds were chirping, and the sun was out. But then a couple years later, 2014, 2015, the winters I, I very distinctly remember were I mean frozen over for months at a time. So. This is the Midwest weather. We always like to joke. Cincinnatians like to joke around a lot that Cincinnati is like the the most changing weather of any place in the United States. And you're probably, I mean, you're not too far away. Mm-hmm. We're right on the line. The Ohio River creates this barrier where like snow happens just to the north of us and rain happens just to the south. And we'll be right on the line. Somebody will get a massive snowstorm on Christmas, uh, 20 miles north of Cincinnati. Yeah. And Cincinnati will just get rain and 50 degrees. It's, yeah. it's it yeah, one of, one of your relatives that lives 15 minutes away has uh, has to go out and shovel their yard, and you just have a very slick, wet driveway. <laughs> right, which is which is really tough to. It, it's wintertime. You want mm-hmm. snow, or I know some people curse me for saying that. I like snow. I like to see the snow. I, I like the wintertime. If the wintertime is going to be cold, I want it to behave that way. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be like let's go out and, and slosh around in the rain. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One hundred percent. It was. Uh, like like I said, it's been very unseasonably like semi warm. Uh, hi to everybody that's checking in, James, Greg, so far. Um, but yeah, because this morning uh, the ground's cold, the air's warm, extremely huge dense fog here uh, in central Pennsylvania. It was just such an odd look, you know, days leading up to Christmas. I'm in that same exact boat with you, Matt. Uh, if it's going to be cold, there might as well be some sort of payoff for it. Um, you know, that being the snow. Right. But, you know, hey, you know what? I always tell people when we get, you know, these cold days and everybody's, oh, it's so cold, so cold. In literally a matter of weeks, we're going to be standing around like, man, it's so hot. <laughs> so, so I always say that. It is like 10 weeks away. It's really not that far away. And we have a, we have a really so short, we have a really short yeah. memory about that too. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it is. It's exactly like that. It's and so then as soon as you think it's unbearably hot, just go. Right. Yeah, in 10 weeks, I'm going to be putting right. on a sweatshirt going, Ooh, it's cold. Complaining so. it's too cold. You're absolutely right, though. It, it is. It's the same thing. It, it's the same thing that happens every single year. We act like it's an anomaly. Like, man, it's never been this cold. I'm really tired of this weather. And then a couple weeks later, it's warm. Yeah, but we're looking at a, a potentially wet Christmas here in the Midwest. Uh, 60 degrees and wet. Yeah, that's, that's odd. That's definitely odd. Um. Yeah, so, uh, you know, talking about that, you know, we got the holiday coming up, uh, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday is Christmas this year. Um, so everybody out there, I hope everybody has a very fantastic holiday, uh, with friends or family or loved ones. Uh, you know, since we're a you know, military based podcast, let's try to remember all those folks that aren't going to be able to come home and spend it with their loved ones and their family, uh, even if they're stationed here in the United States. Or they're four deployed somewhere around the world. Uh, a, we thank you so much for everything you do and your service to us. Uh, and B, you know, get home safe for that next holiday. Yeah, I think we sometimes we lose sight. We talk about this quite a bit that there are men and women deployed across the world in harm's way and, and not, but across the world at any given time. Just because you don't see it on the news, just because you're not seeing the conflict in the headlines, there is very much still conflict and people put in harm's way around the world. And then, as Tim mentioned, I, I, I'm always fortunate when I think back on my time in the military service. I only missed one Christmas 
with my family uh, back home. Uh, only missed one, and I spent that one in Southern California. I didn't have to spend it overseas at all. But there are many men and women, I say this quite a bit, who have missed childbirths, high school graduations, first steps of babies, weddings, funerals. Yeah, you, you name it. They've missed all of these things, and they will continue to miss these things in defense of our nation. And of course, if you don't celebrate Christmas and you are celebrating another holiday, or you don't celebrate a holiday, uh, it's it's still a good time to to maybe sit back and have some time with your your family and friends uh, as your work is probably closed, unless you are a first responder or somebody working in healthcare, which apparently will be a, a fairly busy season this year. Yeah, and to all those people, you know, a bunch of those people aren't going to be uh, afforded the time to spend with their with their loved ones as well. So uh, thank you to those individuals as well. Uh, and since we're speaking of Christmas and the holidays. And, you know, the service, it brought to mind, you know, this very famous clip. Uh, you know, we, we won't play the audio here. A, you know, some political incorrect things are possibly said during this scene. Uh, and B, there's copyright infringement type things. But uh, full metal jacket, you know, you have Gunny strutting up and down uh, the middle of the barracks here. And uh, you have all those fine Marine Corps recruits. And he's singing happy birthday to Jesus himself. He celebrates his birthday on, G- uh, on, on Christmas. So, the, we, you know, meaning for the holiday. We, we have to acknowledge that Full Metal Jacket, among so many other movies that have ma- been made about the military, the first half of this movie is Marines in boot camp. And mm-hmm. while it's not exactly the way it looked for my own experience, it is as close as it gets for Hollywood. I would, I would say that there, I cannot say that there is another movie made about Marines that I've seen boot camp scenery where I go, that's kind of how it was. Right, right. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. My my non-senior, so he's the senior drill instructor mm-hmm. uh, and is it Gunny Hartman? Is that his name? Hart- oh, Hartman. Uh, it's Arlie Ermey is the guy. Yeah, Gunny Gunny Ermey. Well, in, in real life he's, he's Arlie Ermey yeah. in his his character in this movie is gunny hartman right? i believe you're right there yes so so you know he's a senior drill instructor and so obviously senior drill instructors in my experience my senior drill instructor was sergeant carpenter sergeant carpenter was actually the nice guy among the four of them and then i had three non-senior drill instructors who were absolutely terrible no i shouldn't i, I should rephrase that they weren't terrible they were they were supposed to be terrible, right? Mm-hmm. They're drill instructors in the Marine Corps. So it was, these were the most aggressive, seemingly angry. They were you know, there they, to push you to your absolute limits, mentally yeah. and physically, and right. see exactly how much you right. can take. Um, I, I, senior drill instructor, Staff Sergeant Smith, I will never forget that until the day I die. Yep. Because uh, anytime you, you got out of line or someone thought you might have been, you know, out of, you know, not where you're supposed to be. Who's your senior right. instructor? You scream it out loud, you know. Um, but yeah, I had three drill instructors. We had Greenlee, who uh, I would say is like he was probably in the next rotation, going to get his own platoon. Uh, so he was kind of knowledgeable most of the time, soft spoken. Whenever he uh, wanted to really get to you, he'd get real close and quietly get in your ear. Yeah, and you knew, you knew he was about to get in you. Um, and then the other two were just uh, Tasmanian devils, right? Just on a mission to yep. terrify you in any way they could. Yep. So I had one of my drill instructors. His name was his last name was Reckonu, and he had a twin brother who was also a drill instructor on Paris Island at the same time. And they would pull these little tricks. Where so first of all, I'm 99% convinced. I'd love to meet these guys at a bar, yeah, and and have a conversation with with any of them because I I would bet that they were you know really fun people to hang out with, but as drill instructors, they are trained and conditioned to be just these, like, they're lacking personality. They're very aggressive, very dangerous. Like, my senior drill instructor was uh, an infantry marine by trade, and he uh, he had some, some combat experience and would tell these stories about, you know, gunfights that he was getting into and, and things like that. And then, we you know, he wasn't a very big guy. Like, he wasn't jacked. You think of these drill instructors for, for people who have not been to this place, have not been to Paris Island or San Diego, MCRD San Diego. Think of these drill instructors as these big, huge people. My senior drill instructor was much shorter than me, was very wiry, wasn't a very, you know, large man. This dude would put 40 pounds of 
weights in his backpack and then jump on the pull-up bar and just and, and bang out like 30 dead hangs while we all stood there in awe. Like, I don't understand. You had really well-built high school football players that joined the Marine Corps soon after high school coming in there and they can't do 10 pull-ups. And my senior drone instructor is, is here doing this. You know, it's it's easy. It's second nature to him. Anyway, the Reckonew brothers, both drill instructors in different companies, uh, would pull a trick where like one of them would walk away, one of them would walk out one of the squad bay doors. And so of course when the drill instructor when the when the cat is away, the mice will play. The you know, the recruits were yeah. typically pretty well disciplined and we'd stay online and we'd stay at the position of attention and we wouldn't be messing around. However, when they would walk away, sometimes you'd have somebody like scratch their face or adjust their socks yeah. or whatever. And the Reckonew brothers would do this thing where one of them would walk out of one into the squad bay. And just as you thought you could adjust yourself or do whatever, have a the conversation with the guy, the, the other one comes into the other door. And if you're familiar with these squad bays, that would be a good hundred meter dash for somebody to clear. And it would take them at least 15 seconds to get from one into the next. And it would be one second after he walked out and came back in the other side. And we were just terrified. And it took us a little, little bit of time before we realized that they were twin brothers and they looked exactly the same. It wasn't, these twins that you can tell the difference. You couldn't tell the difference. So that was always fun. These guys were, they were exactly, that. they embodied what drill instructors were supposed to be in the Marine Corps. I know uh, towards the end, like the last two weeks are heavy. Our young one, he was, you know, he was the one that was always in somebody's face and always, you know, voices rolled out. Uh, he was marching us around. I, I believe he's bringing us back from the chow hall once. And he was just kind of like asking people questions. And, and trying to set them up and and someone gave him an answer that kind of broke him and he did that move because they got the, the smoke he's on and he just puts his head down mm-hmm. and you can tell yeah he's holding he's holding something back trying to keep his tack and he yep. snaps his head back up hey square up you know <laughs> and, and you could tell sometimes these guys if you if you made them break their bearing they would get even more mad they get yeah it you, upset them you're like oh right. and then there would be there would be heck to pay so to speak you'd be out yeah. in the pit or you'd be on the quarter deck and they're like, get on the quarter deck and smoke yourself until I'm tired. <laughs> and oh. so senior drill instructor was always the nice guy, yeah. even considering that he had the most, he had the, mo- the, the biggest stack of ribbons and the most experience of all of them. You'd think that he would be the terror. And that guy was, don't get me wrong. When, when things when went needed, wrong, when needed to be, right, yeah. he was, he was horrible, but he was like the father. He was like the strict, but fair father. You know, the the one who would kind of push on you and push on you. And then, you know, he would uh, he, he'd, he'd break if he needed to break. But uh, just, you know, mean, mean mm-hmm. as heck, but fair. He was the one that would also distribute the mail to us when the mail would show up. Yep. So, of course, you're always like, ah, thank you. Don't bite the hand that feeds. Yeah, uh, I, I know senior would occasionally you, you do something bad. You're up there on the quarter deck. You're getting smoked by one of the uh, lower level drill instructors. and you know, after about 10, 15 minutes, senior instructor would step out of the office. All right, go back to your boat. Right. Oh, thank gosh. Right. Thank gosh. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I can, I can replenish Thanks, all the sweat yeah. uh, that I've lost out of my body. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, full metal jacket. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's a timeless classic. Yeah. It is among the greats. It's among the, probably the top five in my book, top three best military movies. Ever produced. Fun, uh, fun story about Full Metal Jacket. I had never watched it um, when I started talking to recruiters, and my dad, you know, Navy guy, he kept pushing me to go to the Navy. Ah, I really want to do this Marine Corps thing, and he thought I'm going to go ahead to this store called Blockbuster. I'm going to rent this movie called Full Metal Jacket. I'm going to sit down with Tim, and we're going to watch it together, and that'll scare him out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And through that whole first half of this, I'm like. Yeah, let's go. This like, is what I wanted. This. Right. Uh, that, that, effect, it's that was it. it. That was it for me. I mean, yeah. that, that was it. Exactly. My, so my dad and my brother, my older brother, were both Navy. Mm-hmm. And that was the experience that I thought I, that was the route I thought I was going to take. And I ended up going in the Marine Corps. And a lot of it was because I, I have 60 different reasons why I joined. And I tell people this all the time. But of all of those reasons, probably one of the strongest was that... I needed something different. I needed something that was going to change me in a positive way. I was what you call an undisciplined teenager. And I wasn't a troublemaker. I wasn't getting in trouble particularly. I wasn't, I didn't get particularly bad grades. I was just one of those people that had this self-awareness moment 
at one point when I realized if I graduate high school and I go to college right away and I don't get some discipline in my body, I'm going to fall apart and I'm going to fail as a college student. And I just, I, I recognize that. But I think the other piece was I wanted to go travel. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to go experience something larger than myself. And had I not done that, I wouldn't have met great people like you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The heck of a journey. Uh, so let's, let's get into some of the, uh, the articles we have chosen for today. Uh, Matt, you've been doing a, a heck of a job pulling up some of these articles. And this one, first of all, I'm going to bring up, I think this one hits extremely close to home for you. Uh, you know, being your profession deals with this sort of thing all the time. But the first article is 25 tips to ensure your post military resume hits the mark. Uh, Matt, you've kind of talked about these sort of things throughout our time here on the podcast, but let's go through some of these. So number one is keep your resume updated. She says on a regular basis, review and update your resume when you acquire any new skills, keep your keywords up to date, certifications and other relative, relevant information. Uh, yeah. Number, go ahead. You know, well, that one comes down to this, that when you hand off a resume, this is your and, and resumes are just for full disclosure. Resumes are not the end all be all. So it's I always say this a lot in, in all of my engagements, network, network and network. Your network is going to be your biggest asset. Don't be dropping resumes into a hundred different places and then going, "Hey, why hasn't anybody called me back?" That's it's just not. It's kind of an archaic way to do things. And I realize companies are still asking for resumes. They're still they're still using applicant tracking systems legally in many cases to be compliant. They have to use those systems. In uh, in and, and we use those. I've used those my entire career. However, getting to the decision maker, getting to the, the gatekeeper, so to speak, is going to be the best way to do it. And if you hand that person in your one shot to get to the right place, if you hand that person an outdated resume or or a resume even worse, probably in the, the, the 25, the list of 25 here, if you hand them a resume that's not even tailored to the job for which you're applying, you're going to fall through the cracks. Yeah. So keep your resume updated. Keep it relevant. Uh, number two is ensure you're information is ATS ready. ATS stands for applicant tracking system. So most companies use something like this. Matt, you actually just brought it up, but this mm -hmm. is a software essentially that kind of speed reads and proofreads a lot of these resumes and, uh, you know, kind of selects some ones out of their proofreading software. And those are the ones that get forwarded into HR or, you know, um, recruiters desks. If your resume includes too many creative embellishments, italics, bolds, things like that, uh, you know, misspelled words, it may not be able to be read by the software and therefore probably will not get passed along to the person that's going to start making these decisions. Uh, number three, and, and Matt, again, this is something you've brought up many, many times on the podcast, is include focused keywords. So you say, look at the job description of, of the job that you're intending to apply for and make your resume kind of match that job description. So in ATS, Applicant Tracking System, and a human reader scan resumes to match to the job description. Use keywords and terminology directly from the job listing. And, and exactly is, what you said. This is the thing. The ATS systems are not making decisions for people. So there's a common misconception out there that they, the applicant tracking system is taking your information and saying, no, you're not a good candidate. What an applicant tracking system will do, uh, a, couple of, a couple of things. One, if you answer questions that are requirements for that job, for example, if it says, I need you to have two two years of experience using Microsoft Outlook and you check, no, I don't have this. It'll automatically, in some cases, disqualify you. So that is one way. It's not really AI as much as it is you are disqualifying yourself by answering a question that simply says, if, if you're applying for a surgeon position and you have no experience being a surgeon, they're not going to even look yeah. at your resume. The system's going to disqualify you. Uh, but there's a, a common misconception that that system is doing all of that work for people. What that system is doing is looking at resumes and looking at locations. There is a bit of AI. It can read certain pieces of your resume and summarize that for a recruiter or a hiring manager. It can also make decisions on, or it can perhaps guide decisions on if this person would be a good fit or not based on keywords. And it might rank them A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four. It might say this is a top candidate or not a top candidate. Bearing in mind the recruiters and hiring managers are still looking at these resumes. They're still looking at the candidates that are coming through. They're not putting all the weight onto the, the ATS AI decision. But I will tell you that if you come in and apply to a job that has 
three keywords like underwater basket weaving, unicorn wrangling, and shoe tying, and none of those words are on your resume, none of those phrases are on your resume, it might rank you lower than a top candidate with all three of those phrases or words on your resume. So just bear that in mind. You want your resume to look like the job description. Absolutely. Uh, number four, number five, I'm going to kind of combine here, but number four is update your social profiles. Number five is include your LinkedIn profile <clears throat> on your resume. So as far as the social media profiles, uh, they don't want to see you including too much uh, personal material. HR managers and recruiters are looking for social media to learn more about their candidates that they are possibly interested in. And then when you're linking your LinkedIn profile, try to use the customized URL version for your profile page instead of just going to your page, copying you know, that HTTPS backslash backslash, uh, you know, they don't need all those numbers and, and, you know, dashes and semicolons and all that, you know, just make that customized URL version that, you know, says Tim Keller's LinkedIn page. And all I got to do is click that one little thing and it takes them right to it. A um, couple of, couple of rules okay. for social profiles too. LinkedIn, stay out of politics on LinkedIn. Uh, the whole world can see what you're writing there. And also if you are involved in politics or anything that might be polarizing one way or the other uh, on your personal social media accounts, make sure you keep that stuff private so that people can't come in and, and you don't want somebody to have a bias against you or for you one way or the other. Uh, obviously, for you would work great, but you don't want somebody to look at your Facebook profile and be like, wow, this person uh, hates dogs and I really like dogs. And I know that that sounds funny, but I have seen some, uh, as a recruiter in my career, I have seen some terrible social media profiles that automatically screamed red flag, we should probably not even evaluate this person, just based on their behaviors. Uh, number six and number seven, again, I'm going to kind of combine. They're semi-similar. Uh, number six is keep your resume succinct and concise. And number seven, ideally, aim for a brief resume. So you don't want to have a small book, uh, you know, getting handed into recruiters or HR or hiring managers. It's going to waste their time. They have very valuable time. They can't sit there and spend 15 minutes on each and every resume. Uh, I, I want to say this article says, uh, on average, you're going to see about 250 applications for each job posting. So if you spread those 250 applications across you know, 15 minutes per, that is a large, large waste of time. Um, so keep these things succinct, concise, and keep them brief. Try to keep it down to one page, but don't try to you know, smash so much information in there. You're using, you know, four point font and whoever's trying to read it can't make it legible, right. make it readable, but keep it, you know, keep it concise. Keep, and if get you, to the point and keep moving. If you've got to go to more than one page, then then do so. I always recommend that people don't go any further back in their career than 10 years, unless you're, of course, in the military. You're like, hey, I got a 25 year career behind me. OK, that's fine. But all of your recent details, the last 10 years of your career should be outlined or bulleted. I wouldn't necessarily worry about what you did back in 1996 uh, when you first got out of college or when you first joined the military because it's irrelevant at this point unless, of course, you are applying to a specialized type of role where you can probably summarize that or bullet it. The other, the other note here is that people do look at resumes for 8 to 15 seconds. Yeah. So if the, if the first couple of headlines or the first couple of, of recent jobs don't catch my interest or don't catch the hiring manager's interest, Chances are they might skip past it and go to the next or or evaluate the first or second resume that actually does catch their attention right off the bat. So it's not like it's entertainment. We're not making a movie here. We're not writing a book. It's just is that first part, the first half of the first page of your resume relevant to the job for which you're applying? Uh, for many of us, it's going to be our very, very first introduction to the people who are going to make decisions on this job. Um so number eight leads right into that, and that is put your best point forward. Expect that this individual knows nothing about you. So what you want to do is you want to lead with your best and most valuable information. Put them up front for best results. Make sure in that eight to 15 seconds that they're going to spend kind of skimming over it real quick, looking for those keywords. If you have, uh, you know, proven sales track records, things like that, um, you team leadership, communication, whatever it is, whatever the job is you're applying for. If you have those skills, get those things up front right where they can see it immediately when they pick up that resume. So make sure you're putting your best foot forward. Uh, number nine is consider a hybrid resume. Uh, I'll say that I don't. My resume is is the chronological style. Uh, a, a hybrid resume, this format lists both skills and work experience. 
instead of a chronological list of your previous jobs? If the job description, again, I, I always base, my advice to people is to base your application or base your resume off of what the job description is asking for. And if the job description is very skills and certifications heavy, for example, if you need to be an HVAC technician with HVAC certifications, you've got certifications on boilers and electrical systems and hey, you're a, a nuclear technician, you're a, a nuclear machinist mate in the Navy, and that's what we're looking for. I would put a couple of bullets at the top of the resume that says, I've got the HVAC certs, all the different various HVAC certs. I've got the, the OSHAs. I've got the yeah, Navy nuclear. Good. Yeah, all the schools. I put up those certifications that make that relevant because, again, that's going to catch somebody's attention without reading the rest of your resume. I know right off the bat that you have the certifications that that, re that, that job description is already asking for. Mm -hmm. After that, chronological order is, is great because I want to know that you weren't the vice president of something, and then suddenly you are doing an entry-level job. Well, what happened? I want to know mm -hmm. chronological order of success, too. It is always good for a hiring manager to see a person who has an order of success. They've been moving up or parallel, uh, or a lattice of some sort. They've been moving into different positions, different learning positions, and that they haven't gone up and come down and gone up and come down. Uh, the next is, is number 10, be choosy. If you are going to use chronological order, to show your work history, consider including just the highest level information and leave off jobs, as you just said, Matt, mm -hmm. that were long ago or in another career focus. So, again, if I'm applying to a sales position, um, you know, a job where I was that unicorn wrangler probably has right. no relevant experience unless that was my only job. I got out of the service. I became a unicorn wrangler. And now I, I want to try to get into sales. Right. I can show that, hey, um, you know, immediately following my, my time in the service, I found a job. I took it to its fullest potential. I'm looking to move forward and upwards in my, uh, you know, professional career. After the Marine Corps, I was a police and fire 911 operator and a communications training officer for the city of Cincinnati for four and a half years. I did that while I went to, I did that at night while I went to college during the day. And it is completely irrelevant to the work that I do now. Not to mention it's beyond that timeline now where it was before that 10 year mark. So I don't talk about that much unless, of course, if I'm applying to a job where that is relevant, I will include that on a resume or an application. But for the most part, that job is irrelevant to what I do now. Mm -hmm. uh, number 11, strive for a simple format. Your resume should look professional, simple, and easy to read uh, and be able to read quickly. Uh, so simple is the best when you're formatting a resume. Number 12, Matt, you kind of brought this up earlier. Include headlines. Consider a powerful upfront phrase that grab the recruiter's eye. Limit this headline to one line of text that describes you and what you offer. Or in that case where you're using the HVAC tech as an example, you throw those bullet points up to yeah. say, you're looking for somebody that's got these certifications. Here's one, two, three, four, five. Right. There's the certifications. That's exactly what you're looking for. I probably have the skills you're looking for. Let's have a conversation. And again, relevance. The headline doesn't need to be, hey, my name is Matt Disher and I like dogs and I went to the petting zoo last night. It's completely irrelevant. They don't, yeah. they don't care about that. But if it is, hey, you're looking for an HVAC technician with OSHA certs and boiler experience. Hey, I'm Matt Disher. I have 10 years of experience working on HVAC systems and boilers and chillers and I've got these OSHA certifications. Again, relevance to the job description. Make it look like what the job description is asking for. On number 12, list the results of your work. So I use the sales job as an example. I get into that entry level sales job that I was, you know, going after. I spent five years, uh, you know, busting my butt in that sales position. Uh, you know, company XYZ right down the road is now looking for a salesperson. And I know that, Hey, if I go in there and bust my butt, I'm probably going to 2X my salary in, in, you know, short, short order. So I'm going to put my resume in with them and I'm going to take all of those metrics and statistics I've built over these past five years at my first sales job. And I'm going to put real dollar amount beside those things. And I'm going to say, hey, look, over this you know past five years, I've increased our industrial sales growth by 25%. You're not going to spell these things out. You're going to use real numbers. So I'm going to use the numbers two, five and the percent sign. It's easier to read. They're not having you know less you know issues with, with typos as well. But you're going to use real metrics, dollar amounts and statistics. Make it something real world that that hiring manager can look at and say, man, Imagine if this individual came in and boosted our sales by 25%. Right. Quantifiable information versus anecdotal. I can talk about the things that I like to do and the things that I think I'm good at all day long. But if I can't prove numbers and data and stats, then I'm effectively, from a resume standpoint, I might look useless compared to somebody else. Absolutely.
Uh, number 14, cut down sentences. Avoid personal uh, personal pronouns if possible. Try to get to the point quickly and uh, sacrifice full sentences if need be. So again, it's saying just keep things tight, keep things quick. It's, you know, you want to just get your best information out there in front of these hiring managers and these applicant tracking systems. No more. Just give them exactly what they're looking for and uh, move on. Uh, number 15, use updated terminology. So let's say uh, let's say Matt has had a job now for 10 years. He's held, he's held a job with one company for 10 years. He hasn't had to put a resume in anywhere. And he decides, you know what? Maybe it's time to move forward. Maybe I want to be that VP over here, uh, you know, at this, at this place down the road here. If he submitted his resume from 10 years ago, there's probably going to be some terminology on there that's no longer used, or at least there's new terminology that could be added in to make this resume even better. Right. I, I put all my data on floppy disks and eight tracks, <laughs> and I I am an expert in this field. Is you know, or I'm I'm a, applying for a a, a diesel locomotive uh, job, and I'm you know I'm really good with steam engines, right? Yeah. It's and I know these are extreme examples, but it's the same thing. Technology is moving fast. And, and computer software and technologies are moving really fast. There are softwares and systems that we used in even in talent acquisition uh, eight years ago that we don't use now. So those are things that applicant tracking systems, technologies, all these things that, that perhaps people aren't, aren't using. I'm, I'm great at Windows 95. Yeah. But it's <laughs> irrelevant. Uh, I, I've sent emails uh, and I've been on AOL.com <laughs> right. a handful of times. I'm, well, I, I'd be great to be that new Google engineer. That's Bring another note, and I don't, I, I, I didn't skip ahead far enough. But one of the other things that we talk about, I don't see it on here. One of the other things that we talk about is that there are different terms or or relevant items, like using an outdated email server. Like mm-hmm. if your name is it's Matt Disher at AOL.com, that might say something to that recruiter who is now 27 years old and like, I don't know what AOL is. Yeah. A and B, you've just dated yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing. While age discrimination is illegal and it's not something that anybody should be partaking in, it still happens. And it's it's a very relevant concern for people. Don't date yourself with outdated references to things that, that might be, if it's a, a youthful team, it's a 28, 28, 29, 30-year-old team, and that's the average age, and you're coming in like, hey, I still have my AOL discs that they used to send in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was I was 10 years old when those things came out. That's going to date me. That person can tell now that I am probably well beyond the probably at the average age of the office. And again, while this is illegal to do, it happens. It still very well happens. I'll say um, I'm one of the older individuals on my team at work. Um, and I, I want to say this one of the younger guys, you know, mid 20s. Uh, for whatever reason, I needed his personal email for something. I was probably going to send him uh, something non work related. And when he hit me with his email, it was an AOL. I said, whoa. And he goes, man, I got that when I was like 10 years old. And I go, okay. I, I don't think even 10 years ago I was still using AOL.com. But okay, yeah. All right, boss. Like, so you want to look to update. Right. And, and somebody somebody is probably listening to this like, wait, wait a minute. I have an AOL account. And, and I, not, I still have a, hot, AOL. I have a Hotmail account. And I know that sounds funny. That might sound funny to other people my age because Hotmail was a big thing 15, 20 years ago. I looked it up recently, and Hotmail has 600,000 users compared to Gmail's tens of millions or whatever it is. But I still have a Hotmail account. I don't use it. I just have it. Now, granted, I wouldn't put it on a resume. I wouldn't yeah. use it publicly. It's, it's, it's outdated now. And I know that that sounds so silly. Like, what's the relevance? It's just an email account. It's that technology and data and, and info and security and all these things, they evolve with the systems. And right now, you're either using an Apple phone or you're using a, a Google-based Android phone. And so those are the systems that you use now, and, and it shows that you are technically technically or technologically savvy. Uh, number 17, be mindful of law. Avoid including personal data that the employer cannot legally ask about. Uh, marital status, disabilities, information about financial health. You know, these are not things that they can ask about. Honestly, it's none of their business during the interview process, all of those things. No need to share any of that information. No, either. know your rights, and and also mm-hmm. don't don't voluntarily share anything that is irrelevant to the job. Mm-hmm. Don't go in there and say, "Hey, I'm a disabled veteran." That's another thing. As much as we want to share that type of stuff, 
uh, again, discrimination shouldn't be happening, but it does. And that will tell somebody who doesn't fully understand. If I were to tell you that I'm a disabled veteran and you're unaware of what that means and, and that it might not affect my work performance at all, you might still be thinking, well, this person might not show up to work because they have some sort of issue. Yep. And that's exactly, you have to kind of put yourself in other people's shoes. Don't volunteer information that is irrelevant to the job or your performance on that job. Absolutely. Number 18, tout your success. Highlight any special accomplishments, including new skills, interest, or work experience that might be relevant to the employer. So, uh, you know, let's say during this pandemic, you sadly got laid off and you decided, hey, I'm going to get into the world of podcasting. So you started doing some podcasting, learned how to edit audio, video, whatever it is. And, you know, you just said, hey, I'd really like to get into this. And you're applying to like a local radio station. Those are sort of some of the skills that you say, hey, I've started working on this myself. This is what I've got. These are the skills I've acquired. I really seem to like this a lot. Here's maybe what I could do for you. Uh, number 19, only post truthful information. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't say I've ever caught anybody uh, with like a bold-faced, straight-up lie on the resume, but it 100% has to happen. Right. Um, don't, this is be, a rule. don't be the one that gets caught, though. This is what we learned in kindergarten. This yeah. is basic 101 stuff. Tell the truth. And especially in a job, what you don't want to have happen is, and I've heard of this happening, where somebody somewhere knows somebody at your old employer, and you put on your resume that you were performing in the top 10% of everybody, and then it comes out that, in fact, that's not true, and you got fired because of something else. And if your employer finds out, especially if you're in an at-will state, which is in most cases, you're in an at-will employment state, they can just get rid of you because they think you lied. That's it's as simple as that. So go back to kindergarten. Tell the truth. Don't lie about things. Don't embellish. The other thing is that if you embellish and you lie, and then you get into the job and you don't perform the way you said you've been performing in your career, you've just lied and you've embellished, and everybody will see that. And it's the lies won't save you anymore, and everybody always gets caught. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that. It's on paper. You know, it's it, it's a paper trail of, of your record and your performance. You want to make sure that you are being truthful. And one of the questions I ask people in, in my career when I interview people, tell me about something you want to work on or improve. If you came to me and you were like, well, I'll do everything perfectly and you have nothing to improve, that's a red flag. Yeah. If you came to me and said, hey, I was performing in the middle, but I'd like to perform at the top. I'd like to get there. I'd like more coaching and mentorship. That's like a really good thing to say to somebody in, in, in kind of get to the point where like I want to hire somebody who is willing to learn mm -hmm. and is willing to admit that there's still work that needs to be done. It also shows self-reflection and right. understanding of their weak points and their ability to you know, self-assess and say, hey, these are things I need to focus on. And, you know, if I can bring them up on the par with some of these other skills I, I, I'm very proficient at, mm -hmm. I'm going to be, you know, an even much better employee. Absolutely. Uh, number 20, include only technical skills relevant to the job. So this example you know, we've kicked around a bunch uh, during this conversation so far, but proficient in Adobe Photoshop, great if you're applying to be a creative or graphic arts position, but not relevant if you're applying to be an investment banker. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm, if I'm looking to be an investment banker, the fact that I can sit here and Photoshop things has nothing to do with my job. Right. So, uh, yeah, keep, keep the things relevant to the job you're applying for. 21, avoid listing non-specific skills. So whenever you can, you want to clarify and quantify what you've done that directly relates directly relates to the job or company. So instead of me saying, you know, small team leadership skills, I want to sit there and detail who I've led, how I've led, and the impact of that leadership on the organization. This is one of those things. We all say this when we left the military. I have leadership skills. Mm -hmm. I have leadership experience. Every E4, E5 says that. Every O3, O4 says that. That doesn't mean anything. Saying that statement anecdotally doesn't mean anything. What they want to see, back to one of the other, the, the previous numbers that we listed, they want to see quantifiable information. I led the outreach of training to 500 groups successfully with a 98% pass rate. That shows leadership or execution of plan. Uh, it's not, I led 13 people in austere situations and weird environments. Well, that's that's great. I mean, that's that, that's what uh, that's what everybody has to do at some point in time in a leadership career, but it doesn't mean you are effective at it. So bear that in mind. You can talk about that stuff in an interview. Set it up so that somebody will ask you questions about it. 
And if you want to sell it a little bit further, then you sell it in an interview. Don't put it on your resume as, as vague anecdotal information. Absolutely. Number 22 is do not include any photos. No pictures of you, no pictures of your family in front of the Christmas tree, your dog, your cat. No pictures of, you know, the beautiful little neighborhood you live in. No pictures. Right. None. This is another one of those. This is another one of those. Again, discrimination shouldn't be happening, but it does. And and if we're just being honest, it does. And it happens across organizations, large and small. It's hard to get away from your headshot when we have we all have a LinkedIn profile. It's really hard to hide from social media in this day and age with the Internet. Uh, but I will tell you that some of the most embarrassing resumes that I've ever seen was somebody included a photo of them riding their horse or a guy in a trench coat with a cowboy hat on. And I'm like, that's great. That's great that that's your thing and that's how you dress. But it's irrelevant to the, the, to the, the interview that you're coming in for. And, and what was happening again, I was, I was not part of this, but I saw coworkers in a, a different organization many years ago looking at this particular resume. As I mentioned, this gentleman was dressed up a little bit and they had a good laugh about it and the guy never got an interview. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was unfortunate to see that it, it unfolded that way. I don't have any knowledge on that candidate, but this person essentially disqualified themselves before they even got there. Uh, yeah. And unless you're trying to be an actor, you know, or, or on Broadway or something like that, there's no need for any sort of headshot to be included with your, your resume. Mm-hmm. No, no one needs to know what you look like until it's time to come in for the interview. Right. Uh, number 23, be sure to include current contact information. Surprisingly, many resumes fail to include an updated phone number or email address. Um, and Matt, we talked about it earlier. Try to keep something that, that kind of looks like it's somewhat up to date. I know at this point, Gmail's even 15 years old, probably. Uh, but it, it seems to be the major email account out there. No right. one's going to, you know, bat an eye if you say, hey, Tim Keller at gmail.com. Right. Isn't my email. So don't try to spam that email inbox. By the way, that would be a great email address, though. It's, it's instead of, you know, I like, Unicorns and yeah. fast cars at gmail.com. I'm not going to Timmy that. at gmail.com. Right. right. Bear in mind, <laughs> again, it, not it, it should be it should be professional. It should be easy to remember too, because I want to be able to punch it in to my computer and send you an email. And and somebody else might see that email address at some point in time, and you, you don't want it to be embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number twenty four: list hobbies and volunteer activities if they are relevant. For example, you might demonstrate your commitment to mentoring at-risk youth. By including your volunteer work at local youth centers, the listing that you ran a 5K benefit at a pet shelter may not. So I know Matt's got his uh, DAV 5K T-shirt on today. Uh, you know that's all well and good, but if he's again applying to be the investment, they don't. That means yeah, nothing. I play cool, the drums. You can run 3.1 miles, whatever the heck it is. I, I play the drums, and I have a, a small YouTube channel that I started put to, putting together. It's just chronicling all of my adventures called Dish Adventures, if anybody wants to check it out. It's just like fun little, I take video clips of, of some vacation little trips. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Uh, it has nothing to do with my job. It has nothing to do with anything that I would put on a resume. And, unless, of course, I was going into a job or an application system that was asking me if I could be a musician or... Uh, Travel channel make, calls and is looking for yeah. like a new host. Right, like, YouTube video. I do this. Yeah, I make some. I make. Some, I I say that I I shoddily make them. I I've taken a stab at it uh, on my MacBook. It has a cool iMovie production. You can make movies in there. So I I'm getting better every time I do it. But I'm by no means going to come into a company and be like, hey, I'm going to be your video editor now. Yeah. Well, uh, like I would consider what we do right here a hobby, Matt. But mm-hmm. uh, my next step in my career. This honestly has nothing to do with it. So me putting this on a resume of podcaster, like they're right. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I guess right. that's neat. You should yeah. be decent on Zoom then. <laughs> right. You're gonna be a you're gonna be a, a, a great host or, yeah. or panelist. Yeah. Or, when when we need anything. someone to present on Zoom. To be the moderator. Yeah, yeah, to be the moderator of a conversation. There you go. Fantastic. And then number twenty five, and this is a, a an odd line. It, it's a it's a tough line to draw. But personalize it. Do not forget to reveal your personality and personal brand. Companies want to hire people whose values and goals align with theirs. Don't hide this side of yourself on your resume. You don't, again, want to make it too personal where you're saying, Hi, I'm Tim, married, three girls at home, two dogs, a cat. Again, that that sort of information is not needed. But 
you know, uh, Tim Keller, and whatever whatever company it is, try to find out. Do your research. A that's just yeah one on one. Do your research from the company. Find out what kind of values, maybe what their uh, you know their company policies are, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, culture. And try to say if if they're all about um, you know teamwork and leadership, highlight those and let them know that that is also something you very much value. And it's going to align very well with their company values. And, and 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 beyond that, the things that you might not include on your resume, like your philanthropic work or your hobbies and stuff like that, you can put those on your LinkedIn profile. And it's it, it is completely benign there. It it they can see it and be like, hey, this guy plays the drums, but I didn't apply to a job and say, hey, I play the drums. It's it just happens to be in there. And these are the organizations with which I participate. This is where I donate money, and I mentor kids at this organization. Mm-hmm. They're relevant to the job, but you're going to look at my LinkedIn profile anyway, so you might as well see some of these things, and they'll tell you a little bit more about who I am. But it is a it's a very slippery slope to to get really personal, even to say to personalize it on your resume, because sometimes you might be using really useful space to tell about your job performance previously to start talking about you know other stuff. So slippery slope. Use your best judgment. I play rec kickball. <laughs> right, right. I'm the champion. I've yeah. actually been in the top five percent of rec kickball yeah. players and champions in the uh, United States. Two-time kickball home run champ. Right yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I'll, I'll say this for so if somebody who's coming right out of the military, or right out of college, it is completely relevant to say, "Hey, I was a team captain on the football true. team." You know, for for six years in a row, I did this, or for seven years in a row, I was the you know reigning champion for arm wrestling or something like yeah. that. Well. It, earlier in the earlier in the article, we talked about like quantifiable statistics and, and right. things of that nature, and being able to say, you know, um, you know, I led, uh, I oversaw the the leadership training for 500 individuals with a 98 percent success rate. That mm-hmm. uh, you coming out of college or coming out directly of the military, you don't have any of those sort of things. But right. being able to say that you were, you know, a platoon sergeant, a squad leader, uh, captain of your college football team or high school. That shows, you know, other individuals in in, in places of, of of leadership and power decided you also showed those traits as well, and they they right. kind of put you in those spots to use those traits and, and start to build on them. And, and bear in mind, you have to explain some of those things too. If, if I'm a squad leader in the Marine Corps, the average civilian has no idea what that is. If I'm a platoon commander in the Army, nobody knows what that means. Who is outside of the military and not? doesn't have a reference to the military. So just just keep that in mind that if you are going to explain some sort of position you held, especially in the military where 99% of America is not going to really have a reference to that, make sure you do a little bit of explanation. A squad leader is, I, I led a squad of 12 or 13 Marines, and I was responsible for their training and proficiency in whatever job you were doing. Small group leadership over right. oversold training and proficiency and right. everyday activities. And right. All that, all that fun, fun. Awesome stuff. Right. Our next article, five things veterans can do when they hate their jobs. One, it's not on this list, but prepare your resume. And we just went over all those 25 right. tips of how to have a rock solid resume. But uh, whether it's your first post-military job or you're in the middle of a career and took a position that at this point feels wrong, possibly hating your job can have a huge detrimental effect on other areas of your life. Matt, you spoke uh, a handful of times in the podcast at one point. In your professional career, you jumped at some money. At yeah. the time, it, it probably felt right. You're like, "Hey, I'm gonna. They're offering me X amount of dollars. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot my shot here." Yeah. Uh, and in a relatively short order, you began to feel this just is not a good fit for me. It's not working right. out. I probably need to make some sort of change down the line. Uh, and this kind of article talks directly about that. So, uh, five things veterans can do when they find out that they possibly hate their job. Number one is sharpen some skills while expanding others. So there are two factors, according to a 2016 research study, that can lead to increasing job satisfaction within American workers. One is making more money and having more responsibility. Mm -hmm. So this study says that those who made over $75,000 a year reported significantly higher levels of happiness in the workplace, and those in management also reported higher levels of satisfaction. So obviously, if you're not being given certain abilities or leadership, you can always, uh, you know, go to those around you 
ask for more responsibility. Hey, what can I do? What can I take off your plate? What more uh, can I bring in? Because you know those level added levels of responsibility somehow. And and I I also agree with this. The more responsibility I get, the more I have on my plate. While sometimes it seems more daunting, yes, but it's more fulfilling at the end of the day when you've completed right. all those tasks. Well, you got to look at what's driving you. So some people stay in jobs and they they stick around and they want to work hard because they enjoy their boss or their team, you know, or they like the company's mission. You know, a lot of people work in 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 nonprofit nonprofits or philanthropic work because they enjoy the mission of the organization. They're not there to get rich, right? Some other people are like, I want to go make lots of money and I also want to do work that I enjoy. And I think that there's a, a happy medium and a happy balance there. But you've got to figure out what that balance is and then strive for that. If it is more money, if you like your job and you're like, this is great and I've got all the responsibility in the world, I'm taking on more projects and, and or, hey, now I'm overloaded, that might be a time to go to your, your boss and say, hey, I want to I want to earn a little bit more because I'm working a little bit more. I'm, I'm tying up personal time with my family to do more work and I'm doing three jobs or five jobs or whatever. I want to make more money. You just got to figure out what's going to motivate you, and and if you're not satisfied in whatever it is that you're doing, then sharpen those skills. Go look at the job market. What jobs are paying really well right now? I've seen people drop their career to go to. We mentioned HVAC earlier mm-hmm. to go to HVAC school to be an HVAC technician, or to go to like a a vocational career like plumbing or something along those lines, because skilled trades people are in such high demand. The jobs are paying well right now. And they'll probably never go out of the door. Right, right. And that's a thing, you know, I half jokingly say this, the power ever goes out and society has to start over again. People with those trades are going to be the most detrimental to put society back together. And and of course, we don't like to think like that, but that's what's happening right now. And there's a shortage and we can't keep the lights on or, or buildings can't stay intact or infrastructure is collapsing and crumbling. You need people with these different skills. And of course, you can don't like your job and you're tired of underwater basket weaving right now, you can go to school and probably even get a student loan or a grant of some sort or for those in the military user GI Bill and have a lot of this paid for you. Some of the unions will actually pay for it for mm-hmm. you. So Absolutely. bear that in mind too. There's a lot of opportunities sitting around out there that might take a little bit of work to get to, but go after it. We're actually seeing individuals that, that paid their way through college, you know, the teachers that are now leaving teaching jobs to go to places like Amazon because right now it's it's a what we call a buyer's market. It's a it's right. a job hunter's market. There's so many jobs out there and so many very good paying jobs and right. more and more uh, salaries continue to increase. These individuals say, man, I can go to Amazon and they're going to pay for me to go get my master's degree. And uh, if I ever decide to go back into teaching, I can now go be a professor somewhere or I can, right. you know, maybe I could I could look to be a, a dean or a principal. And, and in that case, private industry has a luxury of raising and increasing their, their salary ranges yep. on on demand. So if they're like, hey, we can't hire the people we need to, let's just bump it up another 10 grand. Uh, where public the public sector teaching, for example, government jobs don't necessarily do that at that pace. And so you'll see a lot of people, yes, they'll just drop what they're doing and go earn a new education or something along those lines. And these educations don't have to be, we're not talking years and years of schooling to yeah. go work in a, a well-paying job. It's in some cases, a few weeks or months where you can learn a skill, at least the basics, and then go work on a job. I, I just know, I know Amazon's opened that up where they're going to pay for people to go to college mm-hmm. uh, if you come and work for them. So, I mean, literally somebody right now um, that has graduated high school and maybe thought, you know, I'll never be able to afford college, you can go work at Amazon, make a very decent wage working right. there, and they're going to pay for you to go to school. And then, you know, after four or five years, you may have that degree you thought you could never get. And if you decide to use that inside Amazon, awesome. That's what they're hoping for. Absolutely. If not, you can go on. Uh, number two is be patient. An estimated 50% of newly separated veterans will leave their first post-military job within that first year. Matt, you've actually brought this up multiple times throughout uh, our year plus of the podcast. This is according to a 2014 study from Vet Advisor. The awesome thing about this is you are no longer in the military. You don't have a contract that on you know the 1st of October... Uh, you know, your contract runs out and you either need to reenlist or you're going home. Uh, there is no contract here. There is no end date. So don't leave that first job after your military and just jump to the very next thing that comes along. Right. Take time, invest the time, do your research, find that company you think is going to be that good fit. Because obviously just jumping at the first thing post military didn't work out so well. So take right. your time, do your research. And this is the thing. I, I tell a lot of people this. 
this is not a tattoo. It's not permanent. So whatever you end up after the military, I talk to a lot of people that are six months out from leaving the armed forces. And, and this applies to non-military people, too. People are like, I have to go find something else. I'm not happy. I have to hurry up and just jump into something else. And as Tim mentioned, in my own career, I've moved around a little bit. I've sometimes moved for the wrong reasons. You know, it's a part of maturity. It's a part of growing up in your own career. You live and you learn. But just bear in mind that your next career, your next job, unlike the military, it's not a tattoo. You're not stuck in it. You can leave whenever you want to. And you're not married to the next thing that you take. So don't feel like, hey, I'm leaving the military. I'm going to go take this job. I'm not really sure if this is what I want to do. Hey, you know what? If it's not what you want to do after six months, bail out. If it's not what you want to do after a year, bail out. Now, the one caveat I will say there is bear in mind that you don't want to be seen or viewed as a job hopper. But that's, mm-hmm. you know, we are funding our own retirements now. We're funding our own, paying our own mortgages, which means if you can get a good job that pays you well and gives you a good retirement plan, carry that retirement plan wherever you go. In in most cases, you can carry that wherever you go. You're not stuck with that company for 35 years until you retire. So don't, don't, uh, don't start mopping the floor with your resume. Like every six months you're moving to something else. Cause then it makes it really hard to, for anybody to want to hire you unless you've got a really good reason why you've moved around a little bit. Number three is make it work for you while you're taking your time and doing your research, looking for a better position that suits your skills. You can also you can always still make the most of the job you currently have. Now I brought these things up earlier, but you can uh, look at your day to day tasks. Say these just aren't challenging enough. Take the initiative. Go to those around you. Hey, what can I do to help you out? What can you teach me? What else can I learn here? Add value to your work center by joining other projects. Go to your supervisors. Ask them for more. Uh, these are always that you're just going to build extra skills that you can mm-hmm. you know post up on your resume when you're applying to these next jobs. Or you never know. You might be, hey, Matt, let me get a shot at this sales report over here. You know, I've watched Bob do it a handful of times. I think I got it down. Let me get a shot at this. Matt lets me do this sales report for the next three weeks. because Tim, you're doing an awesome job in the sales report. Why don't we go ahead? That's going to be your thing on a daily basis. Uh, and by the way, we're going to add this, this, and this to you. And we're going to bump your salary up by 10 grand. Right. And yeah. all of a sudden, you're like, man, that's what I was looking for the whole time. Right. Uh, look, maybe look not around. the company, but you're just not, you feel underused. And sometimes you can look around in your operations or on your team and say, something needs to be improved. Like there are a couple of things that we yeah. need to improve and nobody has taken this on. And you can kind of raise your hand and say, Hey, I'd like to improve that. Or I'd like to fix that. Or I'd like to take that on. It's just an additional extracurricular activity, but it, it also gives you exposure where people might be like, Hey, I didn't notice this guy before. And he's over here running the spreadsheet now and did some and improvement value to the company right saves us time it's saving us money he realized that we've been wasting 10 grand a month on yeah. x y and z and he can save us 10 grand a month that's it's those little things yet yeah, i i say this a lot about my own career in many cases i've made it what it needs to be because and i, I specialize a little bit in in one particular avenue but i've made it what it needs to be because the thing is ever evolving it's constantly changing and i i need to keep up with those trends and I enjoy that kind of work. And thusly, I'm able to make my role and my operations and my results exactly what I need them to be. Um, and then number four is find another source of income. You know, it might sound absurd when you're talking about, hey, man, I'm already in one job that I don't like trying to find a second source of income. But while you're struggling at that primary job, sometimes side hustles could be that thing that A is going to relieve some of that stress from that first job. Mm-hmm. It's going to allow you to find that thing that maybe you have a passion for, or you're going to find out you had a skill you didn't even know you had. Um, but maybe you wanted to learn how to trade stocks. You have a creative hobby that maybe you wanted to turn into a business. Or the last line of this one, use your military career training to start a civilian business. This could be exactly what you need to get started. Now, I would say in today's climate, I know that, let's say a little over a year ago, uh, the gun market was a a very big market there were a lot of guns flying off the shelves ammo was hard to find it still is depending on you know what kind of ammo you're looking for but let's say you were a, a, a really good marksman during your time in service you have all these new gun owners out there that are going to want to learn how to safely and properly operate and use their weapon mm-hmm. start maybe doing weekend classes at the local gun range you get one or two people the first time and if you're good at it, they're going to go and they're going to talk to some of their friends who also prior as first-time gun owners. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, that next class two weeks from now has four people in it, right. and then eight. And the next thing you know, you're booked out six months in advance. 
and every weekend you're making three, four, five hundred bucks. You didn't even know you could do because right. you had a skill that you learned during the military, and you've put it to use for yourself in the uh, civilian sector. And if you read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, they'll tell you that you use that secondary income to go buy your boats and your toys and your yeah. cars and things like that. You don't Absolutely. use your primary; you use your secondary, and then when your secondary becomes so large, you look for a a tertiary, like another, you look for more streams of income. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're running out of time here. We had a couple more articles pulled up, so I can hit these real quick, but we just wanted to take a second to say happy birthday to the Guardians. It is the second birthday for the Space Force. Happy second birthday, Space Force. There you go. Oh, that is that is their logo. I forgot how much like Star Trek that thing looked. It is, right. <laughs> I was like, is that a Star Trek? But no, that's that's Space Force. And um, I like to I like to think that maybe they cut the birthday cake like the Marines cut it with the Marine Corps the sword that yeah. maybe they cut it with a lightsaber. I don't lightsaber. know. Just, <laughs> just spitball in here. <laughs> a lightsaber that would be um, fun. Uh, but yeah, the the twentieth of December was the uh, the second birthday for the uh, the Space Force. So happy birthday! I want to say they're somewhere north of six thousand members now. Yeah, in the Space Force, six thousand six hundred fifty. According yep. to the article, uh, you can find the article on uh, military.com. Uh, happy birthday to the Guardians. Still still kind of weird to me. I'll be honest. And then the last article we have up, this one came from militarytimes.com. Um, it talks about Toyota's board. It's a photo archive we never knew we needed. If you're interested in this, you can go to Instagram. It is an Instagram page. At Toyota's of War is the handle on Instagram. And anyone that has been deployed... Or honest to God, has watched any sort of war movie over right. the past twenty years. You've seen uh, from African warlords to people in the Middle East, Afghanistan, uh, Russia, China, everywhere where there's a air quotes your bad guy. They're probably in the back of a Toyota pickup with a huge turret and a very high caliber weapon. So I, I love this story, and I, I I thought about this. Like, would Toyota be upset by this, or would they would they enjoy this? And I think it's a testament to the reliability yeah. of these vehicles. Now, I drive a Toyota 4Runner. It is my fourth Toyota that I've owned. My wife also drives a Toyota. These things I have are, a Tundra in my driveway. Yeah, these <laughs> things are, like, they are some of the best-made vehicles in the world. But these guys, you have to imagine, like, they're not dropping into a Toyota dealership and getting their oil change and their filters no. changed. So they're driving Ooh. around out here shooting at each other and blow you know there's things exploding got some u.s special operations guys driving like land cruisers which are arguably one of the most reliable i think the land cruiser has the highest rated reliability of any vehicle on the road or something like that it's the longest lasting vehicle on the road very expensive in the united states but but it's uh it's so amazing to see this you can look up google it toyotas of war and and you'll just find picture after picture of troops rolling around the other thing yeah uh, Matt, in, in this this picture you're screen sharing right now, um, the top left, I don't know what year that is. That's, I'd say, mid to early 80s, if not late 70s yeah. pickup truck. Yeah, That thing's probably got a few hundred thousand miles on it. Oh. It's been ran through dust, right. dirt, mud, sandstorms, rain, floods, God knows what. Right. And it's still going. They're yeah. mini tanks. They're awesome. Probably a handful of bullet holes in that thing. Too. Yeah. I mean, I mean and, and that's the thing dirty air filters and, and things go run it there are youtube videos where guys are trying to destroy their their tacomas and forerunners and they're running them into walls and ditches and the thing just keeps running it just keep going yeah I, yep. I know we're running out of time but the, the thing that made me think that, that this prompted me to start thinking about is that the next generation of green war machines uh should probably include the tesla cyber truck <laughs> uh, and, and this is what we're going to be seeing in the next in the next 50 15 or 25 years is oh, the Tesla Cybertruck on the battlefield. That That's uh, awesome. I, I can't say at this point. When okay. we have Elon Musk on the show here, we'll have to ask him. We'll have to this, ask him. But I, we, you, we've heard you've released some beta testing overseas. Right. And it looks yeah. like it's been co-op. Just, just see what, what happens here. I can't imagine these will be as reliable as the old Toyotas. Yeah. However, uh, they will be green, so we will be efficiently. Yeah, that's all that matters. The carbon right. footprint is being diminished. Right. right. So, so that's. I, uh, I will say, did you watch the you know the big release of the Toyota or not the Toyota but the uh, Tesla truck when they when Elon came out and they were yeah. showing all the th- and they threw that they big ball ba- bearing at the yeah you know undestructible window and it immediately just spiderweb. Ooh, that wasn't I, supposed to happen. I have a conspiracy theory that that happened on purpose. 
because a lot, think about it, a million people were watching that, right? But then when they hear that the windows broke, how many more people went and picked that up on YouTube and looked yeah. at that vehicle? So, I mean, it, it caused me to go look at it. I, I went and watched the video, and then I pre-ordered one of these things. You only have to put like a $100 deposit on it. But, it, you know, bulletproof windows are bullet resistant. It doesn't mean that they won't crack or shatter or spider web. It just means a bullet won't get through them. That's true. Uh, that was the point I was bringing up to people at the time. If I threw that same ball bearing, it was probably a 10-pound ball bearing. Mm-hmm. If I threw that at my window of my, my Tundra sitting out in the driveway, that's going through that window. It's right. not going to just hit it and bounce off yeah. and spider web. So there is a definite plus side to it. It didn't Absolutely. just shatter. Uh, yeah, uh, highly recommend Toyota's of War on Instagram. Uh, and like the article says, it is the photo archive we never knew we needed. But uh, you go and you look at this and <laughs> the the first picture in the article, uh, again, military.com, it shows a bunch of people in the back of a, uh, a Toyota pickup. And there's also a guy holding a surfboard. So not. That's right. Guy not, I was very confused guy, by the first photo yeah. of the article. He was hitching a ride somewhere and just yeah. jumped on this vehicle with these. He's got like shaggy blonde hair and he's like, I'm going to go jump on this. Uh, it's a, this it's truck. a picture from Yemen, according to the article. Yeah. And there's a, a man behind a heavy artillery machine gun. You see some other individuals in camouflage, also brandishing weapons. Yep. And then just a dude holding the surfboard. Yep. So. But still, let's not forget Tesla's a poor <laughs> Tesla. It's, it's Toyota, Tesla's coming for you. Better figure <laughs> it out. So there you uh, go. I love this one. <laughs> I, I 100% uh, did not know Matt had any sort of picture like that. So that one. That one popped up when I was. Guard. That was. That yeah, was I was fun. doing a little bit of research and that one popped up and I could not, uh, I could not pass it up. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Art. Thank you for everybody for checking in today. We had a, a, a whole lot of interaction there uh, between all the different social media networks. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever holiday it is. Even if you don't celebrate a holiday, uh, we hope you get to you know have an extra couple of days off of work and you get to enjoy that time. Uh, you know, everybody be safe. Let's make it into the new year, and uh, we're only going forward from here, baby. So until next. You taking a week off, Matt? Probably not. Yeah, we're not here next week. So it'll be, we'll be, we'll see you next year. Okay. So until next year, we'll be right back here on Beyond the Wire.